and welcome to another episode of Unsubscribe, the Demand Drive podcast. I am your host, AJ Alonzo, and today we have five questions for Eric Kleiman. He's an account executive over at VanillaSoft. Before I go ahead and turn it over to Eric, like always, I have to turn it over to Alex first, see how he's doing, because that sets the tone for everything. If Alex is having a good day, we have a good podcast. If he's having a bad day, we actually probably still have a good podcast. I was going to say, I don't think it matters that much, does it? Uh, but I am having a good day so far. So That's no good. no worries there. <laughs> Phew, dodged a bullet. Um, like I said, our guest today is Eric Kleiman. He is an account executive over at VanillaSoft. Um, we're going to talk with Eric today about getting a fresh perspective into B2B SaaS spa- sales. SaaS sales. Um, Eric, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience real quick. Give a, a bit of a background as to who you are where you came from before you were in your current role, and we can get started. Sure. So happy to be here, uh, Alex and AJ, appreciate the opportunity. And my background was mechanical engineering. So started down that road, uh, ran into one statics class, and I was like, whew, this is pretty intense. You know, and <laughs> got, so I, at the same time, started in the industry, was working in a mechanical a mechanical engineering group, and then got pulled away to a reseller, which I didn't really understand what that industry or business was. But essentially, they uh, they resold engineering design software to people. And so I was in a technical role, uh, really enjoyed doing that, and then started traveling uh, too much where I was away from family and friends. So started looking around for other jobs and came across a sales opportunity. Uh, they actually found me and said, hey, we like your technical background. Would you ever consider sales? I was like, no way. <laughs> you know. But after talking with a couple friends, uh, they convinced me I should you know, at least give it a shot and try it out. And I can tell you, I mean, I, I feel like I'm you know, an accidental salesperson. I've heard people use that term before, but I love it. I mean, it's been so great. Been in sales now for about 14 years. So quite a while. And most of my uh, sales journey has been in that reseller, manufacturing, engineering uh, space. Very cool. So so you've you've had what I would describe as a very different experience than someone who maybe starts out and moves into that AE position in, in B2B SaaS. Typically, those individuals were, were SDRs or some type of pre-sales role in the SaaS space beforehand. So they kind of uh, grew up a little bit in, in this industry. You being yeah. a transplant from a totally different industry, um, I would assume ha- have some, some different perspectives on what it's like working within the SaaS space versus what you were doing uh, previously. So, so talk a little bit about that. What was it like being an AE in the, um, in the manufacturing space and the engineering space? And, and how is that really different from what you're seeing currently uh, within your role at VanillaSoft. Yeah. So I would say the big things that jump out on, you know, what's different, the whole BDR, SDR flow and, you know, working with account executives, that really didn't exist. Um, That, you know, there's always been inside sales teams. But typically in manufacturing, you know, you have an inside sales team, they'll deal with their own sales opportunities and inbound things. Uh, Usually it's like smaller deals, you know, maybe it's renewals, 
of uh, software, that type of thing. Uh, the account executives are usually the people, you know, that uh, we'd call like a hybrid model where they're working uh, maybe remotely or they're working in the office uh, part of the time, but then they're going out and visiting clients um, and they have their own territory. They have a, perhaps a set number of accounts um, and they're really given, you know, those accounts. And then for a lot of uh, the, the sales reps, it's just do your thing, you know, go out there, make the calls, uh, send the emails, make the in-person visits, you know, do what you need to pound the pavement, uh, all those type of type of mindsets, you know, and just uh, bring in the sales and get things done. So as far as like someone sending you uh, a meeting, you know, or setting up meetings for you, I mean, that was a huge difference. I was just like, wow, this is amazing. Like people actually set up meetings for you, you know, and then probably the other big difference uh, just with the, the sales side and the SaaS industry, I would say is the technology investment is huge. Uh, there's a, a really big difference. So manufacturing, I think, is perhaps a little bit more behind in that way, as far as the sales technology. Uh, there's other industries, you know, that maybe are further behind, some not as far behind. Um, I have friends in logistics that do sales. They're the same type of thing. You know, it's a, maybe a little bit lagging compared to SaaS. So that, that one thing was, uh, was just huge. The technology, what you could do, um, you know, was, was just amazing. So that's a big one. I, I guess uh, just to give one example here. So when I first started uh, with uh, selling in the manufacturing space and reseller space, um, this is how I learned uh, cold calling. Sat down with my manager and I had never done cold calling before. So we're sitting at a desk, close the office door. We have split headsets <clears throat> and I'm calling, dialing people live. And while they're on the phone, he's jotting down notes and speaking to me to ask the next question or say this thing, you know, I mean, it was like trial by fire. It was brutal, but at the same time, it was a very good learning experience, you know, where nowadays you come into this and you have, uh, I mean, I'll try not to mention different company names, but there's a number of options that you could use to record your calls. You can go back and review, you can search on keywords, right? I mean, it's just, uh, the technology to get better and to help you with sales. Uh, that's just one example of many, but yeah, it's, it's really incredible. Yeah. And that's definitely something I'd say, AJ, you and I have noticed tangentially. I'm really excited that we're having this conversation because I feel like from our sort of viewpoint in the SaaS space, we can see that there's industries that lag and things like that, but that's, it's interesting you share that story because when I started as an SDR in 2016, maybe it was a step up from what you were saying. Like we had call recordings, but we didn't have anything that could like measure intent or analyze the tone of voice or any of these, these things that are happening now. So um, that sort of gives some perspective to anyone who maybe has been in the SaaS space for the last mm -hmm. five to 10 years, you know, how many years behind, you don't want to say in industries like years behind, but you know, how far behind technologically speaking um, some industries are. And it's an interesting perspective when we're surrounded often by, other SaaS competitors and, mm -hmm. and softwares and things like that. Yeah. SDRs don't know how good they have it these days. I mean, like Eric, you're talking about your experience in, in an industry that, that like, as you're saying, maybe is a little bit behind to the SaaS space, but like 
when I started not too long ago in 2013, I had a very similar situation where like I learned how to cold call with a manager in the room physically with me, punching numbers into a polycom phone. And maybe the manufacturing or engineering spaces haven't progressed to the point where they're using um, sentiment analysis or call recording software. But like in 10 short years here in SAS, we've evolved from that to like, yeah, SDRs can asynchronously get coached by their managers from across the world via different pieces of technology. I would have never imagined something like that 10 years ago, let alone 15 in a totally different space. So it, it does speak to how quick it does move. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the interesting things, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that you pointed out were some of these, these cool differences. You were like, oh, people set up meetings for me, right? Um, and some of the pros of moving into the SaaS space for manufacturing. Um, I'm curious to hear if there were any things that were maybe more on the challenging side, things you missed about manufacturing that were easy to do or that you really enjoyed that um, when you were switching industries, you either lost or had trouble adjusting to. Yeah, so that's a, a good question. Uh, the first thing, things that I missed, um, maybe it was, I guess the, the one thing that comes to mind, because uh, there's there's probably not a bunch of things that come to mind on, on things I missed, but one of the things I do enjoy is actually meeting people face-to-face, -face, you know, having that interaction with them, uh, being able to, to know immediately, see their face, uh, you know, go around the office, walk out to the shop floor, uh, see the manufacturing, how they're doing things. So <clears throat> that was a big one, which again, talking about technology, right? I mean, in the past couple of years, Zoom and all the different, uh, video manufacturing technology uh, companies. I mean, you know, we can still see people face to face and um, ask people to turn their videos on so we can see how they're engaging or not engaging in, in the meeting. Um, so that's good. That, I guess that's the one thing I missed. Um, the challenges, <clears throat> excuse me, when you switch, <clears throat> uh, I would say it's just getting out of your comfort zone. Uh, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable. I knew that it was going to be a challenge. Uh, you know, it, it'd be easy to just stay in an industry, um, you know, that you've known for years and years. And I think that also is, uh, is a good thing because if you're growing, if you're going to really stretch yourself, you're always going to be uncomfortable. Uh, the other thing which I think plays into that, and that's uh, a challenge, you know, when you're moving to a new industry, but even a new job, even a new role in the same company, right, with the say, uh, same sales team, is just the imposter syndrome that you can get a lot, the lack mm -hmm. of confidence. Um, but everybody started out, you know, where they were, they were average or lame or uh, maybe even bad. So, it's just those type of things like the uncomfort, uh, you know, the imposter syndrome. I, I say those are the, the challenging uh, things and, um, you know, maybe learning, uh, learning the new uh, ideal customer profiles and industry terminology, that type of thing. So, yeah, I mean, I, I hear a lot of people equate it to by a lot, I mean like a handful. I'm not talking to millions of people about this, but like if you are on an NFL team and you learn your team's playbook and then you get traded to a different team, 
it's impossible for you to immediately pick everything up and start being as productive as you were previously. It takes time to really understand the playbook, how this team operates versus the team that you were on previously. Um, you might be in the same space, but you're executing different plays. And I think for you and, and some of the stuff that you would just mention there really resonated because I was an SDR that was not all that great when they first started out. And imposter syndrome definitely took its hold and <laughs> it's it's hard to to break out of that but then there's like i don't know for me there were there were some moments in my career where i was able to start to see some success when i i shifted um the industry that i was calling into the icp that i was that i was calling into um and really start to understand the market build up some confidence and like that is the momentum that you need to start seeing success. Um, I think that with in individuals that shift industries, it's probably a bit of a, a larger gap that you have to hurdle in a longer time before you can start seeing that because you're not just taking some of the same like SDR or AE 101 level lessons and transplanting them to a different ICP industry company. You're taking a lot of the, the skills that you had to build as a salesperson and fully tweak them to meet a whole different type of selling. Like you, the way that you were talking about the self-sufficiency of an AE or a salesperson in your previous role, that self-sufficiency is valuable, but maybe some companies don't allow or expect their AEs to be that way. And so when they get into a new position and they try to do the things that are familiar to them, they, they try, you know, it's rocking the boat. And managers are like, well, that's not how we do things here. <laughs> so that that can set you a little bit further back in terms of of making that transition and, and, and seeing really how difficult it is to, to go from one place to another. Um, so it's interesting that you brought that up. I, I don't know if there were any other like, habits, I guess, that you had picked up previously that that maybe you tried to bring into uh, your current role that you were like, oh, hold on, like <laughs> that doesn't translate here anymore. Yeah, definitely there is. Um... And I guess just uh, before I answer that, I wanted to chime in with one other thing that that came to mind. So uh, one of the challenges too, and I think this is across the board, you know, changing roles, industry, uh, all that type of thing, but just being coachable, right? Like you have to be willing to learn. You have to be willing to fail uh, and fail fast, uh, which is a good thing. Um, so really being coachable too, and, and not coming in with the mindset, which I've done before where, Hey, I know how to do this. I know how this should be done, or I know how to be successful, but you're, you know, you mentioned it, AJ, you come into a company, they're like, we, we already have our process figured out. We don't need the new guy, the new gal, you know, coming in and trying to do things uh, their own way. So uh, being coachable too, at all times, you know, whatever level you're at. Um, I think is good. And then, yeah, some of the, the habits to break. So uh, for me, again, it was a big switch with going to industries, but I've even learned this the hard way with just switching roles is not asking enough questions. And that's like internally, you know, so don't try to figure things out yourself uh, so much. Um, for me, I, I like to try to figure it out on my own. You know, I don't want to lean on other people, but that can be a bad thing too. Like you got to ask questions. You got to be willing to uh, think you're going to sound dumb, but you actually aren't just keep asking people. Um, obviously ask like the leaders and people that are successful. 
you know, uh, I'm sure they have a lot of people hitting them up, but offered a, I was going to say, take them to lunch. Maybe you can't do that. DoorDash lunch or something, you know, with them. And uh, yeah, just ask them questions. Uh, so that was one thing that I really had to, uh, had to do is just get used to asking questions, adapting to new processes, obviously, you know, learning to talk uh, the, the language and stuff for a different industry um, with different departments, different roles, personas, that type of thing. And then really getting strong enough with the technology. Um, so hopefully that answers. Yeah. Answers no, I, I, I love that. I really, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of using the resources that you have available to you, whether you're, you know, an SDR or an AE in a company with other sales reps that you can, like you were talking about, you know, buy them a coffee or get them a DoorDash gift card and, and see if you can pick their brain for 30 minutes about what's worked for them. How, why are they so successful? What can you do to try and emulate that? Um, you can even go outside of your company and, and look at the various online sales communities out there because there's plenty of people in those communities that are willing to help if SD Revolution, Sales Hacker, Rev Genius, like all of the people in those communities are there because they're like the point of the community is to help everybody grow, right? And yeah. if you go in and you're asking questions, it's not looked at as annoying. It's looked at as, oh, this person wants to learn and grow. And I, I would like to help them achieve that. I think there's, to your point, right? There's a stigma around like, if I ask too many questions, maybe I'll come across as annoying. I'm that annoying new sales rep that's that's looking to learn. Like, no one should ever think like that. That's a very antiquated idea, I think, of right. what of what that role is. Yep, I completely agree. And that's that's a good point too. I mean, sales communities, like back when I started selling, right? I would have thought maybe that was a, a community of houses where most people were salespeople, right? Like there was no sales community where you could get help like that. That type of thing is huge. It's a great resource. That's, I, I love that thought because obviously we've been just on the internet for so long, but right. <laughs> the idea of a sales community, just like a town where everyone moves for some industry, just like, yep, we're all just salespeople here. Oh, what do you guys <laughs> sell? No, we're just salespeople. <laughs> but um, yeah, have you, have you gotten a chance to dive into either any of these communities or do you have any sort of favorite resources that, that you've been able to tap into when you were shifting into the, the SaaS role? Yep. So the sales communities, uh, definitely, uh, I dive into those um, and could use them even more. I mean, they have so much, you know, content and so many resources. Um, I think they're fantastic. Another thing I think that's big is, and I'm kind of a podcast junkie, but I really enjoy podcasts. I love that I can play them at one and a half times speed, you know, when you're exercising, walking the dog, <laughs> driving down the road, whatever. Um, and my kids kind of laugh at me, you know, they're like, what are you listening to? You know, cause it's like this <laughs> kind of fast and, but I, I get used to it. So then when I slow it down, you know, it sounds weird, but yeah, it, doing things like that. Uh, and I wish I would have had someone that pulled me aside early in my career and said, Hey, you know, if you invest in yourself more than your company does, it's going to make huge dividends. So another thing I think, and this is just a guess, but, you know, probably most people, even young people, you know, if you're coming out of college, you've already been hitting the books, 
right? You probably don't want to read too much anymore, but I think reading is one thing that, uh, you know, especially some of the younger people, you know, it's a way to differentiate yourself. It's easy to do audible. I like that. I just mentioned the podcast. That's easy, but there's a lot of content that's missed if you don't read uh, blogs, obviously books, right? And that's like going to the top successful salesperson and asking them those questions. They share stuff that has made them, you know, who they are today and got them to where they are. Uh, so there's that. There's Patreon groups that you can join for really cheap. Um, and you're getting a steal of a deal. So yeah, there, there's a ton of uh, ways to be successful. The information is out there. You just got to find it and then act upon it. Maybe I can post show. I'll see if I can grab some of those, some of your favorites. We can put them in like the show notes, but I know that there's, yeah. uh, like you said, a ton of podcasts, a ton of books, a tons of, tons of communities that, um, like you said, people wish more than anything they knew about before they got into the role because it is such a vital component yeah. of onboarding and just getting comfortable with being a sales rep is knowing that like there are these resources available to you if you have a question if you're ever concerned about anything like someone's probably answered it in some format or another if you have access to it then we talked about it building that confidence becomes so much easier yeah exactly 100 percent um one of the other things that I know that you had you had brought it up a little bit earlier that I wanted to to dive in uh, to again, but um, one of the big differences between your your previous role and this current role is the available technology that you had, um, not just like to do the job more efficiently, but but like having access to um, to data or tools so that you, you wouldn't just be you wouldn't have to be as self sufficient. You can, you can rely on something else to help you do your job and enable you to do it more effectively. Um, feel free to name names. I know you said you didn't want to do that earlier. Drop as many as you want. Um, but that's one of the biggest differences I see in terms of what you were doing previously and what you're doing now and, and kind of contribute to that resources idea of like what's available to you to help you do this job effectively. What are some of the coolest tools that you've been exposed to in your, your current role that you you look at now and you're like, this would have changed the game for me in, in, in any type of previous role. How did we not know about this? Yeah, absolutely. So just the whole uh, <clears throat> tech stack term, right? Um, I mean, that's that was fairly new. Um, I hadn't heard that before, but I'm like, oh yeah, they, you know, they have so much technology that it's like a whole stack of things and <laughs> it can really help you. So some of the coolest, I, I think, most beneficial, you know, things that I've come across. Um, I'll just name some. So uh, VanillaSoft is a sales engagement platform, uh, more for the SMB, like mid-market. Uh, I know obviously there's uh, sales loft, there's outreach, you know, that people work with. And just being able to automate a lot of those steps and put people in a cadence, that's another thing, uh, a cadence or a sequence, right? Like those terms were never around. Like, you could do five steps if you wanted, you could do 25 steps. It's really, you know, in the space that I was in, and I think it's probably similar to others. It's like, I don't care how many steps it takes. You just keep after them until they close. <laughs> right. But you can figure out as these companies have, like, 
how many steps does it take on average to get someone's attention to you know have a conversation with them get them to a demo or to a discovery call and and move them forward so that type of thing sales engagement was huge um, you can easily be twice as productive you know templated emails being able to see when people open them um, and realize that you know the technology today that has like buyer intent um, which i know there's a lot of them out there uh, zoom info terminus you know are a couple that i've become aware of i know there's a bunch more but like that type of stuff uh, we mentioned the call recordings so I'm just giving love to everybody. Chorus, gong, refract, <laughs> right? Videos, uh, like Vidyard, bomb, bomb. I mean, that's a huge difference. Like sending a video would have been a really big undertaking back in the day. Um, you know, LinkedIn sales navigator, being able to search and find people for that. Um, even technology like connect and sell, just, you know, burning through uh, numbers and stuff until you get a person live on the phone, uh, being able to search for contact information is so much easier. Again, Zoom info is one of them, seamless, lead IQ, you know, and, and I'm just scratching the surface here, I feel like, because I've seen so much technology, even like some of the apps, I've bought some, some apps that help on the phone, you know, before Gong and Chorus, I, I paid $10 for like a phone recording app on the phone, because that was the only way I could record and listen to my calls. Uh, to get better, but the technology, yeah, just arms you to be extremely successful. So that's another good thing just to ask people, how are they using it? Because you can really use it to make, uh, make your life easier. And I think a lot of it too, is bringing over some of the marketing knowledge and, you know, data that they've been able to capture maybe longer than the sales team has. And now you can see some of that. Uh, which is fantastic. So extremely helpful. Yeah, it's fun. I was just going to say before you you jump in, Alex, it's funny that you mentioned you're just scratching the surface. Um, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes, but 10bound has their market map of like basically oh, yeah. all of the available technologies within SaaS, whether it's a sales engagement platform, call recording, blah, blah, blah. The It just grows and grows and grows. There's new technology that pops up what seems like daily at this point. So to your point, I think it's, it's, it is super important to ask people, what do you use? How are you getting the most out of it? Why is this effective for you? Because the, right. it is analysis paralysis. There is just so much out there. It's almost impossible to, to figure it out on your own at this point. Yeah, um, I was just going to ask you, you made me kind of curious when you when you brought up video, that sounded like the one that was the most like would have sounded the most outlandish when you were in manufacturing. What, what do you think would have happened if you used video prospecting in like a manufacturing sales role? Uh, I, I think it would have been huge, just like it can be today. You, you know, engineers um, obviously are very smart people, busy Um you know, it can be difficult to earn their trust a lot of times. Uh, so as a salesperson, I think just having that video, maybe an image, or I know they have the animated kind of little uh, images of your video. I think that would just be a great way to get their attention and obviously to stand out. Um, you know, I'm thinking years and years ago, like, you know, some of the the hurdles to get over would have been the size of the video, you know, could you actually attach it? Um, if you didn't attach it, you know, 
would they actually feel comfortable enough to click on the link and go somewhere else? Um, so there, there's challenges, but yeah, I think video would have been, that would have been great. Just like it is today. It's a, I think it's a underused, still has lots of potential. So, so what I'm getting is that like companies like BombBomb and Vidyar, like you mentioned, should probably heavily prospect into the, to these more in, uh, antiquated industries because there's a lot of opportunity there. Yep. Yeah. And I think it's like, uh, you know, there's obviously the technology has allowed for videos just across the board to be so much more common, which is fantastic. Um, but, you know, when you look at like LinkedIn, I'll use that as an example, because I think it's very clear that there are so many lurkers, right? And I've been there and done that for a long time uh, and still trying to improve that. But you can put a video up there and, and maybe you don't think uh, it's that successful. But then when you look at how many people actually viewed it instead of how many people commented or liked, I mean, it's a drastically huge imbalance. You know, there's so many people that see it that you may never talk to or at least not talk to this month, but maybe next month, you know, you'll have the right content or say the right thing that gets their attention. So it's definitely, yeah. uh, definitely good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The, the ability to view impressions on LinkedIn, especially has been, has been super helpful just for understanding, especially on our side, on the marketing side, like what's working well, what's not, you can sort of look at that ratio from likes and comments to views, um, things like that. Um, sort of on that note, because I'm assuming LinkedIn is something you probably had to master more once you were in the, the SaaS sales role. Um, so I'd love to dive a little bit into maybe some of the skills that um, you had to learn and had to learn quickly when you were when you were making that transition and which ones were sort of the most crucial to your success early on. Sure. So skills you have to quickly master, uh, I think, switching roles, switching industries, you know, Again, leaving aside uh, your assumptions and ego um, and just being willing to adopt and fully dive into new processes. You know, what's, what's their sales process, um, learning and understanding the value props, uh, the pitch, that type of thing, the problems that your solution uh, solves or your product solves, uh, just really diving into that and, and learning those processes I think is huge and messaging, learning that messaging is very big. And then I, I know we've said a lot, but again, the technology, like how does this technology work? How is it gonna benefit me in my day-to-day? -day? And probably the biggest thing I looked at is, you know, how does it benefit my prospecting and my outreach? Cause that's a big part of the day. So just doing that consistently um, really, really was important and can make a difference. Sorry, my dog is like, <laughs> this, this is the back of the podcast that you guys don't get to see. He's like rubbing his, his back up against my leg. Like, please pet me, please pet me. Frankie, relax, dude. It's okay. It's the perks of working from home, right? That's right. Um, no, I love, I love the, that um, you, there are some things that you recognized quickly that making that transition into the SaaS space where you were like, oh, like, and I'm sure you, you, you realized it through both experience and through talking to people, like, there are some things that I really need to focus on development and, and sort of like upskilling wise to make sure that I, I ramp at a pace that makes sense. Um, and I think that's very, 
translatable to a lot of people who are just jumping into the space for the first time, who don't have that experience. Like you, you were able to still pull from some foundational sales experience. Granted, a lot of it had to be rewritten in some capacity, but you still have that that experience that a lot of people may be jumping fresh out of college or transitioning from an industry where, where maybe sales wasn't their role in any capacity. They don't have that. Um, so there's definitely a lot of parallels that I can imagine drawing there and, and, and some things that you were able to glean from that initial ramp period where you were like, oh, like this is super important or like, why, you know, if I didn't know about this, I never would have seen success in the first 30, 60, 90 days, whatever. Um, was yeah. there, I know you talked a lot about like making sure that you're getting uncomfortable, that you're doing, you're doing things that, that scare you, that you're always learning. Um, are, are there any like actual tangible sales skills that you had previously that when you you translated them into this role, you were like, oh, I'm these are magnified. These are way more important than they were previously, or oh, these aren't all that important anymore. Like they for field sales or or, or you know, face-to-face -face sales, sure. For SaaS sales in a remote environment, not so much. Yeah, I so that's a really good question. Um, I think the the skills and stuff that you know I realized um you you need and you're never going to get away from are like the human connection right being trustworthy building rapport building trust quickly kind of the foundational stuff where it's real easy um, to start leaning too much on the technology you know and and then it gets into uh, I think the challenge of well is it really resonating is it personalized enough or can people pick up that it's just you know uh, a canned message. Um, that's one thing you want to stay away from. So I think that's, that's what you were looking for, AJ. But yeah, just those, those basic foundational skills. I mean, that's something that, you know, across the board, you're definitely going to have to, to stick with, um, you know, truly trying to help people get, find out what they want uh, and help them get that. And make sure it's, it's the best for them and be willing to tell them, you know what, we're not the best fit. All those type of things I think are, are crucial. So I think, yeah, the truly trying to help people is so important. That's, that's such a big point to make. Like when you're in this role, yes, you're tied to a number. Yes. You have goals that you have to hit, but like ultimately your job is to, to help people that need to be helped. <laughs> and you, you think you can do it with your solution um, so to that point, like knowing that you can just detach from the outcome and walk away from it because you don't think that it's actually going to help them achieve their goals or it's not going to be a great fit. I can't imagine that was very common in your previous role, but, but it is very much part of the rhetoric today. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'm curious just for a second to dive a little bit more into the idea of personalization and just understanding maybe some of the nuances. So were you uh in the previous role still doing any like research beforehand or was a lot of the personalization just as you built that rapport and as you talked to them figuring it out versus now I, I i mean we train our SDRs obviously to do as much research go on linkedin and search these people as much as possible is that a difference or is there more similarity there between the industries than, than i'm imagining no i think you're spot on uh, alex with that because a, a lot of it and this is going back um, you know, 10 years or so, 
um, a lot of times there wasn't a way to get a lot of personalization or or make it personalized because you just didn't know, right? Other than reaching out to people, getting their attention, meeting them face to face. So yeah, that was one thing you would, you would try to do. Um, and the same thing with the research, like there was only so much that you had available to you that was meaningful uh, for that particular role or that person. Um, and so it, that's one thing that that's a huge difference today. So having said that, the one thing that does remain the same with, you know, research and personalization and, you know, resonating your message, that type of thing is I had a sales manager tell me this and I'll never forget it because it made such a difference. But, you know, there was uh, different ways to, to research customers. And as the years went on, that became more and more important as it should be. Right. So you want to have a personalized message to people that resonates with uh, their role and what they're trying to achieve. But he said uh, to me, he said, look, he said, don't spend, you know, 15 minutes uh, trying to learn and research the company and the person um, when it's, you know, a mid-level account or maybe your lower account, the enterprise, you know, top whales that you're going after. Yeah, spend your time doing that. He said, but these others, he said, you could spend 15 minutes researching a company. And when you call the person, you go right to voicemail. And it happens so often. So I think that's a big difference, you know, today is, you know, put in the research, take time, uh, you know, show that you care, that you did your homework. Uh, but it doesn't have to be probably more than even five minutes because the, the information is, is so readily available. Yeah. I, I think Lead IQ came up with it, the five minute game or the 10 minute game or, or something along those lines where it was like, you you start with a, I think it was 10, you start with 10 minutes and you give yourself that time for those larger kind of P1 accounts to go through research, figure stuff out, like really make sure that your message is personal, it's relevant to them. Um, you do it. And then you you do it again, you do it again, you get six of those done in an hour. And that means that in that hour, you've sent out six hyper-personalized, like very relevant, this message can only be for this person type activity. And then you get better at it. So it becomes the nine minute game and then the eight minute game and the seven and six and five. Because over time, yes, technology and our access to data get better, but you also just get better at research and you know what to look out for. You can eyeball test some stuff versus having to spend time looking at a LinkedIn company description, for example. Yep. So I think it's important, yeah, to like do the, the work, but you get better at it and it becomes a lot easier, right? Yeah, definitely. And I haven't heard of that, uh, that game, but yeah, I like that. And that's uh, always the goal, right? Is to to be efficient, to know what you're looking for and just get that time lower and lower. Yep. Yeah. Um, the last thing that I wanna wrap uh, the conversation up with is, um, and it's it stems from the first time that we talked together, we talked a little bit about personalization, but, but more importantly about relevance. And I think that this is something that's lost a lot on people who have been in this space for so long. They hear, I have to personalize my message or else. If it's not personalized, it's getting trashed. Um, you coming in with a bit more of a fresh perspective, I think have noticed that personalization is great, but relevance is is more important than that. The way that you, you described it to me when we first spoke was like, 
let's say I get an email, right? And it's like, hey, AJ, I saw that you have a dog. He was just on this podcast right now. Saw that you have a dog. I also have a dog. That's great. Anyways, do you have 15 minutes to learn more about my solution? Like there's, that's so disjointed, right? Like you hooked me, but there's no connection there to any kind of value or um, what, what your solution provides. Talk to me a little bit about like your experience with figuring out how important relevance is um, and, and, and why that is such an important distinction to make between personalization and how it comes into play. Yeah, that, so that's a fantastic topic. And I've read a lot about this um, too as well. And, you know, it is a fun one to discuss because first of all, I would say obviously personalization is nice right? Like, oh, they recognize that I have a dog, you know, maybe they're a dog lover too, that type of thing. Uh, but years ago, uh, you know, there really wasn't much uh, available as far as technology and processes to be able to quickly personalize something. A lot of people that were doing sales, you know, you hear that kind of old school tactic, you go into the office and you look at their pictures, right? Look at, do they have trophies? Do they have uh, you know, pictures of being out on the lake, on the boat or whatever. And then you come up with a story and that was kind of the personalization. Well, a lot of times you didn't, you know, didn't have that if you're just reaching out to people. So what really makes you stand out? And I think it's still the case, like you were saying, AJ, is, you know, making it uh, resonate with their world and making it relevant to them. Because if I had a stranger come up to me, which is essentially what you're doing, of course, like when you're cold calling, if you mention a problem or even a priority that you see in the industry that you're helping others with, you can quickly get their attention. You know, if they have that same pain or they've experienced it before or even others around them. Uh, and we ran into that a lot with, uh, with engineers, uh, you know, again, very smart people uh, doing their thing, you know, building stuff. And uh, you almost get the impression like, you know, go away, you pesky salesperson. I'm, you know, I'm not going to talk to you. Uh, so you had to get past that. And a, a lot of it was just with having a relevant message. I mean, if you could show that you understood their world and what they were facing, that would get, uh, get their attention. And I remember having left multiple voicemails, uh, sent multiple emails with different messages and stuff to this uh, director of manufacturing and engineering at a plant. And I never got through until one day he called me up and he said, Hey, I'm, you know what, let's, uh, let's meet. I saw that last email you sent over. Um, I think it'd be good to me. And I was so surprised, you know, after, I don't know, even how many touches it took, I, I wasn't using the cadence, right. Or so I didn't know if I was on touch eight or step number 12, whatever. But uh, I asked him, you know, I said, well, what, uh, you know, what, what can you uh, say that caught your attention and, and what is it you're hoping to get from our meeting? Because I, I want to help out and I'd be happy to meet. And so he told me just in the last email, you know, what hit home and he came right out and said it. He said, you know, the other meetings and stuff or other emails, excuse me, he said it just didn't get my attention, didn't resonate with me. He said, but now this, I want to hear more about what you mentioned. So I think that's a, a simple example, just showing, you know, if you have uh, the message that resonates with what they're facing in their world, 
you'll get through, even if it's not personalized. That's just my opinion. Mm, I love that. Yeah, I think I think relevance is king personally, but yep. like personalization is nice. But yeah, if it's not relevant to me, then delete every time. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, Eric, thanks so much for for being on the show today. I think that you you bring a great perspective into this world in, in the way that maybe someone who, like I said, has grown up in it and kind of tangentially knows all of this stuff, they get an idea of what it's like outside of B2B SaaS. What, I mean, this is like you said, tip of the iceberg. This, this is a small mm-hmm. section of salespeople. There are millions upon millions of salespeople in tons of different industries that don't use any of these tactics. They don't have any of right. these tools. Um, and so it's a little bit of, you don't know how good you have it. And a little bit of, well, based on what I heard on this episode today, I should probably double down on X, Y, Z. So I think there's a lot of stuff in here that you mentioned while you were ramping up and, and, and learning this space, some of the habits that you had to break, some of the things that you learned that were crucial to your success. So uh, dear listener, if you're, if you're this far into the episode, if you've got, you've got to the end here, um, make sure you check the show notes because there's going to be a lot of resources in there. There's going to be a lot of tips and tricks so that you know what to focus on if you want to see success in the in the SDR or AE role within a SaaS company. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, yeah, thanks again for being here. If people want to connect with you, learn more about you, about VanillaSoft, uh, where can they go? How can they get in touch with you? Yep, so probably the same same way uh, everybody answers that, that question, right? <laughs> seems like everybody's on LinkedIn. I, I don't have a cool blog or anything or my own podcast, uh, although I love all that stuff. But yeah, just LinkedIn, uh, Eric Kleiman, K-L-E-I-M-A-N. And uh, I'd be happy to connect um, if I can help or answer questions or even tell you, you know, don't do this because I hurt myself trying to do this in sales. You know, I'm happy to help people out because I've always appreciated everybody that's uh, helped me through the years. So yeah, be happy to connect. Awesome. That's a that's a heck of an offer to take people up on. Hey, <laughs> hey did you try this? Yeah, it didn't work. Oh, okay, good to know. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again for being here. Remember to subscribe to the Unsubscribe podcast. Get more of this type of content in your inbox, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks.